appreciate the opportunity to minister and uh, share God's Word with you. And uh, you said I had about 45 minutes, right, Jeremy? That would be 15 less than what I do, man. Oh, well, don't tell me that. So I teach, uh, I teach at the college level, and uh, I'm used to teaching three-hour classes, so every Sunday morning I have to toggle back to what people can hardly stand, you know, 35, 50 minutes if, you know, I shout and scream and run because they're entertained. Uh, but you know what the sad thing is? We, we gripe about if uh, we sit in church for 50 minutes, but y'all go to a Tar Heel basketball game. You'll sit there for two hours and you'll be excited and screaming and everything, you know, cheering on people. Uh, but uh, I think uh, we could use some of that excitement in the church, you know, and uh, praising the Lord. And uh, the, the uh, trio yesterday sang a song. Um, what was the name of the song? Well, through the fire, is that the name of it? Yeah, I, I mean that about made me come off my seat. You know, I, I really almost got Baptistal in here, but then I knew half of you wouldn't show up this morning. Okay, the the gospel according to Hebrews chapter ten. The gospel according to Hebrews ten. Or, which religion is right? That's a subtitle. Which religion is right? The Gospel according to Hebrews 10, or which religion is right? Hebrews 10. The salvation, friends, that God offers uh, could be called soul surgery. And maybe some of you here this morning need that. Maybe you need some soul surgery. You might need salvation or real personal relationship with the personal Creator God. Or maybe you're, uh, you're already a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been living for Christ, sold out, faithful, following hard after the Lord. For either of you, either type of person, the answer is the same. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It is not religion. And this is why so many people get confused nowadays. Christianity, guys, is not a 12-step program. It's a relationship to Christ, and neither is it a fabricated religion based on unsubstantiated claims. It is a personal relationship to the Creator God. And I'd like to share, just to start off, uh, quoting out of um, a book called The Bible Answer Book, just to set the stage for this comparison, what we're going to see in the first few verses of chapter 10, a comparison between biblical Christianity and other religiosities out there, okay? Christianity is unique among the religions of the world for several reasons, writes uh, Hank Hanegraaff. First, unlike other religions, Christianity is rooted in history and evidence. And those of you who came to the conference have seen those things, especially through Barry's class. Christianity is rooted in evidence. This is critical for our faith. Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of Caesar Augustus and was put to death by Pontius Pilate, a first century Roman governor. The testimony of his life, death, and resurrection is validated both by credible uh, eyewitness testimony and by credible extra-biblical evidence as well. No other religion can legitimately claim this kind of support from history and evidence. 
Furthermore, all of the influential religious leaders of the world, Buddha, Moses, Zoroaster, Krishna, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, Baha'u'llah, only Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh. And this was not an empty boast, for through the historically verifiable fact of the resurrection, Christ vindicated His claim to deity. Other religions such as Buddhism and Islam claim miracles in support of their faith. However, unlike Christianity, such miracles lack historical validation. Finally, Christianity is unique in that it is a coherent belief structure. Some Christian doctrines may transcend comprehension. However, unlike the claims of other religions, they are never irrational or contradictory. Let me stop there a second with Hannah Graff's quote. Y'all following me still? What he's saying there is the Bible is never irrational or contradictory. One of my uh, online students, the first week of this semester, uh, I had them answer a question, what is reality or how do we know what's true, what's really real? And uh, this is a college-age girl. She probably didn't grow up in a good church with a good pastor who's concerned that young people know truth and youth pastors that know that young people know truth and uh, how to defend it, how to live it. But uh, her answer for my question, what is reality or how do we know what's real, is uh, she said, uh, if I can see it, feel it, touch it, smell it, taste it, then this is true. This is reality. Some of y'all heard this yesterday, but the rest of you need to hear it. This is critical. She said, reality is if I can see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, this is how I know something's true. And, um, well... I can't let her get away with that. That's, this is an untrue statement, guys. Y'all listening to me? So I emailed her back on the, uh, the Moodle. We use Moodle. It's a software for online education. Uh, I hate online education, by the way. It's pretty lame compared to traditional seated education, but they pay me to do it, so I'll do it. <laughs> I said, uh, I'll just, I won't call her name. Uh, I said, young lady, uh, let me ask you a scenario about how you know what's truth, what is truth. Uh, Suppose you lived in England 400 years ago and somebody told you there are galaxies out in deep space, millions of beautiful galaxies out in deep space. Well, guess what, young lady? Can't see them, can't feel them, can't touch them. It's not until 400 years later you get the Hubble Space Telescope, right, that shows us all those galaxies in deep space. So my question to her was this. Are those galaxies hanging out there in the sky? By the way, do you all know this earth and our, ga- our little galaxy and everything out in the uh, uh, universe is just hanging there? There's no ropes or cables holding them up, you know. Scripture says Jesus upholds all things. Right? He literally has the whole world in His hands. Uh, at any rate, 400 years ago, you couldn't see these galaxies in deep space. Right? You couldn't see them, smell them, touch them. Were they any less real 400 years ago than they are today just because we can see a picture of them? Thank you. That's correct. Absolutely. This young lady's tracking with me. Um. What you feel or touch or smell or taste, what you feel about things has nothing to do with reality or what's true. Nothing. You could have had some bad barbecue at King's last night. 
and you don't feel right today. So the Bible's not contradictory, and truth is, does not contradict itself, uh, friends. And I had another guy a couple of weeks ago tell me, well, I know there, there's a contradiction in the Bible. I said, well, I, you know, I don't see any. I'd like to know what one is. And uh, he said, well, what about Cain's wife? Well, guys, first of all, that's not a contradictory because the Bible doesn't say in one place Cain got his wife here and in another place he got his wife somewhere else. That would be a contradiction, right? It doesn't say that. Cain married his sister, okay? If you want to know why, I asked Jeremy at lunch today. <laughs> Let me finish uh, Hannah Graff. Christianity is also unique in that it cogently accounts for the vast array of phenomena we encounter in everyday life. The human mind, laws of science, laws of logic, ethical norms, justice, love... Meaning in life, the problem of evil and suffering and truth. In other words, Christianity corresponds to the reality of our present condition. And, uh, and, and this is true, guys. Christianity is true. It is the real only religion. It's the only true religion. Man, y'all know I wouldn't make it on Larry King or Oprah or Dr. Phil or Dr. whoever else wacko, right? Because I'm going to say Christianity is exclusive. But I would also share with people, and you can do this as well, guys, Christianity is not the only exclusive religion. Don't, don't let people get away with this, guys. They say, oh, you're intolerant and exclusive. Don't let people get away with that. All religions are exclusive. You go down to the local mosque and ask the imam that runs the mosque, is there more than one way to God? What do you think he's going to say? He's going to say No. Absolutely. So Christianity is not the only exclusive religion. And, and look, and, and I know I'm not getting into this sermon with all the outlines all pretty so far. Uh, I'll get there, but I'm more concerned about sharing truth with you guys and equipping you guys, okay? Bad news. Religion is impotent to fulfill our deepest needs. And, and that's, this is the way it is. Man's attempt today, there's a spirituality sweeping across America. People want to be spiritual. You know, they want to do spiritual things. But religion is impotent to fulfill our deepest needs. It only offers rituals and demands. Bad news number two, the Christ of culture, our culture is seen as the religious guru who taught good morals. The Christ of American culture is the Jesus on Nat Geo, History Channel, Oprah, or... Uh, some other mainstream media. A Jesus who isn't God, friends, cannot help you, nor can an anemic Jesus, nor can a neglected Jesus. Right? You neglect Christ and, and the family, the Christian family, which is His body on earth, the church. You neglect Christ and His church, and you're, you're, you're pulling yourself away from any real help and any real hope in your life. It's quiet when you talk about church, doesn't it? Good news is, God offers a heart of flesh. Y'all know in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, God promised a new covenant. And in Ezekiel 36, He mentioned the same thing. He said, here's what God can do for you, friends. If you don't know Christ today, here's what He can do with, for you. And He will do for you. He said, I'll take your heart of stone out. That's a hard one, right? A hard heart. 
I'll take that out and I'll give you a heart of flesh. That's what Christ offers, friends. This is the good news. Good news number two, the Jesus of the Bible is the one who created you and He loves you. He knows you and He still loves you. What about that? He knows you and He still loves you. Good news. Again, Jesus offers deliverance and a relationship. He offers peace, hope. There's good news, friends. Which religion is right? Uh, I, I want you to look in chapter 9 of Hebrews just a second. Down at, near the end in verse 22. I want to run through some things before I get to chapter 10. Because there's some critical things here uh, we need to understand about our Christian religion. And the fact that it's not just a religion, it's a relationship. Hebrews 9.22, are you all with me in 9.22? And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood there's no forgiveness. And you all know he's talking about the shedding of Jesus' blood to offer you forgiveness, right? But the first, I don't want to pass over the first part of this verse. One may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. Why in the world does he say that? Because in Leviticus, uh, I think it's chapter 4. Well, I was thinking about where you can offer... uh, Yeah, that's the classic verse on the atonement, Brother Abbott. You're right. I think it's Leviticus 4. God said, here's how you come to me on my terms. But He offered a provision in there for for the people out of God's mercy and compassion. He said, if you can't even afford afford to bring two pigeons, you can bring a bucket of flour. You're going to say, is that significant, preacher? Yes, it is, because it's God's mercy and compassion, even on the poor back then. If you can't afford an animal with blood in it, then you can bring a bucket of flour. Isn't that amazing? Look, Lamentations say God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Y'all thankful for God's mercy? You ought to be. They're new every morning. We ought to walk in these doors with, with the family of God just with Psalm 118.24 on our hearts. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, man. Be glad in it. And let me encourage y'all again. And guys, I've gone far afield from the sermon I had typed out. But that's okay. As long as I'm giving you biblical truth, I think I'm okay. Let me encourage y'all. If you woke up this morning, everybody listening, if you woke up this morning... God is not done with you. He has a plan for you and a purpose for you living. When He gets done with you, He'll take you out. Y'all believe that? You ought to. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, because you don't know what a day might bring forth. But as long as God has you here today, He has a plan for your life. He has somebody for you to minister to, Somebody He wants you to love on. And, and uh, you know, that's a good way to get out of depression and sulking, by the way. Go reach out to somebody else. There's always somebody hurting and more depressed than you. 
See, God wants to use you to be a blessing. So get out of your shell, get off the couch, get out of the bed, and go out and be a blessing to somebody else. God's got a purpose for you. Okay, Uh, verse 26, I want you to skip on down. Uh, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What he's starting to talk about here in the section of Hebrews is comparing Old Testament Jewish religion of offering animals for sacrifice, comparing and contrasting that to the sacrificial death of Jesus and the sufficiency of Jesus to come to God. Okay, that's what he's comparing here. Now, in verse 27, "...and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment." Reincarnation, which a lot of religions teach, is not biblical. It is not true, cannot be substantiated. You die once, and after this, judgment. See, Buddhism, and a lot of people get into Buddhism today. It's popular, especially on the West Coast. It's getting more popular here. What an easy way out. The heart of Buddhism is reincarnation and the wheel of karma. You live, come back, uh, this cycle of rebirths. You come back again and again. Well, what an easy way out. If you don't get it right in this life, you got the next one to work on it. This is a satanic deception, friends. God says you die, and after this you face judgment. In verse 28, friends, Jesus has paid the way for you, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await for him. Listen, I want to get to something else. Uh, something else I need to mention before I get to chapter 10. Uh, this is from MacArthur. He tells this story of an English village whose chapel had an arch on which was written, We preach Christ crucified. And that's what Hebrews is preaching in chapter 9 and chapter 10. This is the gospel according to Hebrews. The death of Jesus to remove sin, to bring forgiveness, to bring wholeness. To the life. An English village had an art, a sign on the arch that said, We preach Christ crucified. For years, godly men preached there and they presented a crucified Savior as the only means of salvation. But as the generation of godly preachers passed, a generation arose that considered the cross and its message antiquated and repulsive. They began to preach salvation by Christ's example rather than by His blood. They did not see the necessity of his sacrifice. After a while, ivy crept up the side of the arch and covered the word crucified, and only the words, we preach Christ, were visible. Then the church decided that its message need not even be confined to Christ in the Bible. So the preachers began to give discourses on social issues, politics, philosophy, moral rearmament, and whatever else happened to spark interest. The ivy on the arch continued to grow until it covered the third word. Then it simply said, we preach. Friends, I'm not just here to preach to you this morning. I'm here to speak truth into your little world. And to bring the words of the eternal, all-wise God to bear on your life. The New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, we preach Christ and Him crucified. And that's the message of Hebrews 10. And this selection we're getting to here 
doesn't explain the historical events of Jesus. That's explained in the Gospels. He's given the theological explanation here. This passage shows the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection in all its beauty and its richness. This is Christ crucified for salvation. And by the way, y'all might, I don't know if you have that problem here, but everywhere else in North Carolina, we've got these newfangled churches that come along and they take the pulpit off of the platform and they put up a bistro table, you know, and they sit up here and they chill out and, and uh, they tell, want to talk stories or give book reports. Listen, I got a new slogan for this type of church. My slogan is this. Friends don't let friends listen to weak preaching. And I need to post that on my blog and copyright it so nobody steals it from me. Friends don't let friends listen to weak preaching. Why would you waste an hour on Sunday morning to go hear somebody tell stories and entertain you? And this pulpit is actually in Protestant Baptist churches in the middle. We're not Presbyterian if y'all seen them, some of the pulpits are over here on the corner, up in a little rotunda, and you step up the steps into them, if y'all have ever, ever seen that in the larger historic Presbyterian churches. Evangelical churches had the pulpit here. Why? So you can see the ugly preacher up here good? No. But so that he opens up this book. This is what's central to the life of the church week in and week out. It should be to the individual Christian week in and week out. Friends, don't let your Bible sit under the coffee table from Sunday to Sunday. That's tragic. That's tragic. So we preach Christ. Now, the first point in my outline is the failure of religion. The failure of religion. First of all, it cannot bring access to God. Verse 1. For the law, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form or essence of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Old Testament Israel would come and, and uh, you would bring an animal to cover for your sins on the Day of Atonement and the high priest, uh, the priest would help him uh, cut the throat of the lamb, drain out the blood. The high priest would take the blood into the tabernacle, present it before God by sprinkling it on the Ark of the Covenant. And this made a covering temporarily for sin. But here's the problem. is what Hebrews is explaining. Suppose you finally waited in line all day and you got up to the priest to present your lamb and as you're walking back past everybody, you have a sinful thought. Guess what you've got to do? Get back in line. See, religion, the Old Testament sacrifices could not take away sin. This is a different issue than covering sin. It could not take them away. And, and that's why the failure of religion, it cannot bring access to God. The Old Testament religion pointed forward to what was promised in Christ. Peace, hope, forgiveness, a clear conscience and access to God. And today, even today, Judaism is without even the shadows. See, the Old Testament sacrifices were shadows. I take uh, my religion students every semester to, a, uh, to visit a synagogue on a Friday evening. We're going November 5th to a Shabbat service Friday evening. The temple building is beautiful in there that Jews worship in, but there, 
I've never seen any animals sacrificed in there. See, they're left even without the shadows because of their disobedience to God, right? They refused to humbly repent and trust Jesus Christ. And so God took away even their method of spirituality. Now all that Judaism has left is a hull. You go into a synagogue on Friday evening. You stand up and down, up and down and read a holy book. No personal relationship to Christ. The temple was destroyed. and The sacrifices are no longer made. So even the shadows for them are no longer available. But let me ask you this. What about it, guys? Let me bring this home for us. Because we can talk about them out there all day long and get amens and feel all good about ourselves. But if we keep hanging on to idols in our lives, those things that keep us from being committed to the Lord, God can do the same thing to those th- with those things that He did to their temple. He can take them away, can He not? We hang on to those things that keep us away from being committed to Christ. And God can take them away. That includes your toys, your kids, your job, your health, some crazy relationship you shouldn't be in anyway. God can, God can uh, bring discipline, right? He does bring discipline to His own. The failure of religion, it cannot bring access to God. Secondly, it cannot remove sin and the guilt that comes with sin. Look at verse 2 and 3. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Now, he talks about here at the end of verse 2, a consciousness of sins. This same word consciousness is translated actually conscience in chapter 9, later in chapter 10, and in chapter 13. Uh, The word has to do with man's innate awareness of wrong in his life and of his sense and guilt because of it. Friends, the conscience is built into us. It acts as an alarm system. It acts as an alarm system. And it's to let us know when we're about to do wrong and you feel within yourself, I, I just know this, just, this ain't right. That's your conscience talking. Just as pain in the body lets you know when something's wrong, right? You have a pain up in here. We call it a toothache. Lets you know something's wrong up in there, right? Root canal time. Whew, love it. Not... Pain in the body lets you know something's wrong, so the conscience acts on our minds and hearts. And if we continue to ignore this alarm system, it can weaken. As MacArthur mentions in a book called The Vanishing Conscience, highly recommend the book, society encourages sin, but it will not tolerate the guilt sin produces. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. If these people's sins had been dealt with at the heart level, Their conscience wouldn't keep bothering them. That's what he's saying at the end of verse 2. Society encourages sin, but it will not tolerate the guilt that comes with it. 
The one and only thing that will release a person from guilt is forgiveness of the sin that produced the guilt. Does that make sense? You cannot continually mask and muffle your conscience. If you do, you'll be in, technical term coming, a world of hurt. Right? You mask your conscience and continue to do that, friends. You'll be in a world of hurt. And you'll be in the pastor's office getting counsel and help. Don't mask your conscience, okay? Look, uh, reform in the life doesn't work. Well, I'll, I'll straighten up. I'll straighten up, honey, and go to church with you Sunday. That's religion. Religion makes a hard life harder. Did y'all hear that? Religion makes a hard life harder. Jesus takes away your sin. And I tell you, the passage led me to Christ at age 22. That's been 15 years ago, last month. Matthew 11, 28. I was reading the Bible out of sheer boredom. And Jesus said, You come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Implied heavy laden with your sin. And I will give you rest. I said, Lord, if that's what you're offering, I'll take it. I'll take it. Jesus takes away the sin, friends. Religion only makes a hard life harder. Thirdly, religion only deals with externals, verse 4, for it is impossible. I looked up this Greek word, Barry, adunaton. It means impossible. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats. You could really put in there in brackets. It's impossible for religion and acting externally religious to take away sins. It only deals with externals. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. Some of you might need this. Modern behaviorism deals with externals. Modern behaviorism will never last, nor will it do the change at man's heart level because it is impotent to do so. The leopard can change his spots, the Old Testament prophet said. I'm sorry, he cannot change his spots. It is what he is. He may paint over them, but he's still a leopard. So it is with man and woman. We can get religion or change our behavior or try to drown out our behavior with drugs and medication psychiatric drugs, chemicals, or whatever else that we try to change external behavior. But if you aren't aiming for the heart, you're wasting your time and money. Religion, including modern behaviorism, cannot get to the heart, friends. It cannot do the soul surgery that needs to be done. Religion is only external. God was, for these people and for us, God was and is after the heart. Listen to Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. But people are too prideful and they refuse to have a broken spirit and repent before God. No, I'm, I'm going to drown this and medicate this some other way. I'm going some other route. There's got to be another route to get rid of guilt in my life, 
than repenting and turning to Christ. But there is no other route, friends. That's what he's teaching here in Hebrews 10. The failure of religion. Religion is something to do. Christ is someone to know. The failure of religion. Second point is the facility of the Redeemer. The facility of the Redeemer. That is, He is capable. He is capable. He is sufficient. The facility of the Redeemer. First of all, He did God's will. Look at verse 5. We'll just move on down through the text. Verse 5. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, He's quoting Psalm 40, a a, a huge messianic uh, text. Uh, Actually, there's not a psalm that isn't messianic, so I don't know why I made that statement. Except the fact it's quoted directly in Hebrews. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written to me to do your will, O God. To do your will. Jesus did God's will. He did God's will. Jesus' goal throughout the Gospels were to do His will, right? Mark 14, 36. Yet not as I will, and as uh, Brother Abbott shared in, uh, out of Isaiah this morning about Satan, he has five I wills in there. Five I wills. Are you kidding me? You will not do anything except what God allows you to do. But, but for a Christian, we do actually have a choice. Are we going to live for the Lord and live in His will or not? Uh, and, and listen, God's, word, God's will for you can be found in the Bible. It can be found in five S's. Five S's. God's will, first of all, is that you be saved. Do you all know that? So if you're looking up to God about which job should I get, which career path should I take, who should I marry... What car should I buy? Uh, if I had the money, it'd be the new uh, 2010 Camaro. Uh, if, you, if you're looking uh, for what decisions to make in life, but you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you haven't even taken the first step. God's will is that we be saved. First uh, Timothy 2.4 He's not willing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will also then is that we be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4 3. 1 Thessalonians 4 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, comma, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, mind if I do a news flash? News flash. Sexual immorality is wrong, sex before marriage is wrong. Living with somebody of another gender before you get married is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. That's just a news flash in case y'all hadn't ever heard it before. Um, uh, oh, by the way, guys, if, if you have friends that are in... Uh, homosexuality um, this their argument can be defeated without ever even opening the Bible did you know that because their main thing is I was born this way no you weren't 
Either you were born with male reproductive organs and parts, or you were born with female reproductive organs and parts. Y'all with me? Only these two things go together, not, not with each other. It's a biological argument. You weren't born gay. You choose gay out of your lust and desires, and those are the things that need to be dealt with from the heart. But that isn't any more wrong a sin than sex before marriage. Do you know that? Another news flash. I know some of y'all are thinking, man, this guy's supposed to be talking about apologetics. He's then gone from preaching to meddling up here. <laughs> Third, God's will is that we be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5.18 Don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of that? Singing hymns and songs and praising the Lord? Too many Christians I see a lot of time, they always got a scowl on their face and always got something negative to say. This ain't being filled with spirit. A person who's filled with spirit singing, whistling. You know, they got a kick in their step. Hallelujah. Uh, also, God's will is that be, we be suffering. Did y'all know that? Philippians 1.29 and also that we be submissive, James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Uh, I stole those from somebody. They're the five S's. But I've added a sixth one, that we be sharing the gospel of Christ. So Jesus did God's will, the facility of the Redeemer. Uh, verse 8, uh, He replaced the old system. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. God has forever set aside ritual and religion and replaced them with the Redeemer. Do you know Him, friend? That's my whole purpose up here today. And all the hundreds of words I'm spouting out today, to this morning are to encourage you, if you don't know Christ, to know Him. And then secondly, to make Him known. That's our job in life. What you do down at the plant or factory you work at is just to support your habit. Our life is to know Christ and to make Him known. Period. Everything else is incidentals. Third thing uh, our Redeemer does, He sanctifies the believer. Verse 10, By this will, that is God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God's will has made the Christian holy. And that's what sanctified means. It means holy. Uh, but He's referring here to a positional holiness, uh, eternal life, security as a believer. It's something we receive at the moment of turning to Jesus Christ as our believer. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. But uh, the Apostle Paul had to continually write to the churches to say, Hey, our practical holiness must match our position. We must be becoming who we already are. See, we got a thing today... Uh, uh, Paul Tripp and Tim Lane have written a book this year called How People Change. How People Change. And they talk about the gospel gap in there. And one of those gaps is found in, for instance, Colossians 3. Paul says, uh, Therefore we have uh, died with Christ. We've been risen with Christ. Uh, uh, Christ who is our life. When He's revealed, uh, you know, this uh, Colossians 1 through 4. 
When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then shall we be revealed with Him in glory. We have been given a resurrected life, but then Paul has to start in verse 5 with this. Therefore, put aside. And he lists off all this junk that Christians like to get stuck down in it and play in the mud in. It's the gospel gap. We've got to close this gap. This gap of what we claim to believe and what, how we should be living. Those things aren't gapped in the Bible. They're together. But God sanctifies the believer positionally. If He saved us, we're going to uh, change and live for Him. Also, our Redeemer removes sin. Verse 11. Every priest is going toggling back to the Old Testament priest, guys. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He removes sin. The Old Testament could not take away the heart of stone, but the sacrifice of Jesus can. He removes sin. And verse 13, He will destroy His enemies. Verse 13, waiting from that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. Jesus has conquered the devil, the fallen angels, and every one of His enemies throughout the ages who have rejected and opposed Him. And He will do this in the future. Listen, Philippians 2.10 says, listen, maybe you're in here this morning and you just got a rebel heart. You hate people preaching. You don't even know why you came this morning. But listen, Philippians 2.10 says that in the future, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Friends, you can do it now in humility and salvation or you'll do it later in judgment. I encourage you to consider the claims of Christ this morning. He will destroy His enemies. That's what He says here. Uh, Next, Our Redeemer perfects the saint forever, verse 14. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He perfects the saint forever. Jesus gives eternal salvation. We are secure in Christ. And then He fulfills the promise of the new covenant, verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, in their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He fulfills the promise of the new covenant, of offering a new heart. The work of forgiveness is done, friends. You just need to turn in humility to Christ. We're talking about here the failure of religion versus the facility of the Redeemer. And let, me, let me say something else here real quick and then I'll, I'll close out. Look, religion says, y'all listen, this is critical. Religion says, oh, if I feel like it today, I might get up and go to church. Now, I'll get up and play church. This is religion. You don't understand Christianity. If, if, if that's what you go through with every Sunday morning, if that's the battle in your heart, you don't understand Christianity. Religion says, I'm, I might play church today at the church building over on Charles Street. 
Christianity is a relationship to Christ. I'm going to be with Christ and His people because I love Him. Y'all with me? Religion is impotent. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Hinduism's gods are impotent to save vile, nasty creatures. Taoism doesn't even have a god. Wicca offers false gods and goddesses. Humanism will tell you you can handle things on your own, but you probably know by now you can't, right? And agnosticism only offers frustration as well. But Christ changes hearts and forgives sins. Is Christ a religion, guys? Let me ask you believers here this morning. Do you know Christ well enough to share Him with others? I mean, your church has spent all this money and time and effort to put on an apologetics conference this weekend. And I learned a lot myself. And uh, I know the church offers discipleship programs, Bible teaching things. And uh, listen, guys, somebody asked me yesterday, how, how is it at what point in your Christian life do you get the confidence to just go talk to people in the line at Food Lion? Because you ought to be talking to people in the line at Food Lion. Do you know that? People are hurting out here. And we've got the medicine for them. We've got the light of the gospel. We've got truth, love, Savior who loves them. We need to be talking to people. How do you get that confidence? You've got to know Christ. You've got to know His Word. That's what church is for. Y'all know that's what your pastor's for? If you don't believe it, you read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That's the philosophy of pastoral ministry. God has given some gifts to His church. One of those gifts is the pastor-teacher... Verse 12 says, And His purpose is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Your pastor's not here to do the ministry. His job is to equip you to do the ministry. The job of ministry is yours. Did y'all know that? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and following. Look at the first person personal pronouns in there sometime. We, brethren, have been committed, God has committed to us The message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. He's not talking to the preachers in 2 Corinthians. He's talking to you. So do you know Him well enough to share Him with others? Unbeliever. Final thing. I want to quote you 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Brother Jeremy is going to come in about one minute and give you an opportunity. If you need to get something right with Christ today, maybe you need to turn to Him in repentance and receive Him as your Savior. You need to do that today because look, this 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient with you. He's been patient with you today. Ephesians 4.14, I'm sorry, Esther, Esther 4.14 Mordecai told Esther, said, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? God has brought you in the doors of these churches today for a reason, friends. And religion and your own little traditional system ain't going to cut it. There's a Savior who loves you and cares about you deeply. And I hope you come to know Him this morning. Let's pray.